I'm Leia Ajayi, consultant urological surgeon from the Royal Free Hospital in London, England. On behalf of the Endourology Society and the Journal of Endourology, I welcome you to this open channel podcast sponsored by um, Cook Medical. You might recall from my initial discussions with Dr. Stefania Ferretti from Italy and Dr. Edward Masamoto from Canada. Uh, we are today uh, carrying on with that discussion with Dr. Uh, Manogram, consultant urologist and transplant surgeon from Kuala Lumpur General Hospital in Malaysia. Uh, we will be discussing the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on urology residents' education. Welcome, Dr. Manogram. Hi, Dr. Ajayi. Thank you for having me on, on today. A real pleasure. Uh, firstly, I'd just like to make ask how you are during this challenging time and how uh, your colleagues and family, I hope everyone is well during this uh, unprecedented times. Yes, everyone is fine at the moment. Uh, we are going through another new wave of COVID infection in Malaysia, unfortunately. Indeed. Yes. Well, today we're going to be discussing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on training. Firstly, I just want to get an understanding uh, how many years it takes for a trainee to become a certified urologist in Malaysia. From when they leave medical school, uh, what's the journey? So traditionally, uh, urology training in Malaysia involves, uh, from the point of leaving medical school, it takes about 12 years. You have to finish your internship and the usual, usual run of the mill. You become a general surgeon first, and then you, become, uh, you take up urology training. However, in the last four or five years, we have actually changed the system a little bit and have an additional parallel pathway where... Uh, uh, the trainees do not have to go and become a general surgeon first. They, they take it up as a senior medical officer. So in that sense, from a 12-year program, we have managed to shorten it down to about 10 years for them to come out. So you have a mixture of both. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you find there's like a two-tier system or do you think the caliber of the finished product, i.e. the surgeon, is the same? Because I think it's quite useful to have a general surgical background. I agree with you. In fact, uh, I mean, we, we are all trained as general surgeons at, at the first instance. And the transition is something that as trainers, we find, you know, we can see there is a bit of a difference that's kind of obvious. The, the maturity and the thinking process of a person who's become a surgeon is different from somebody who's not gone through that process. So it, yeah, it's, it, it, it adds a bit of a challenge. Correct. It's interesting you talk about the maturity of the individual. So I take it that uh, a lot of your residents, because they've had to do general surgical training and slightly older, they probably have a slightly different outlook on life. So I wonder really whether your, your team were able to function normal uh, during the peak of the pandemic, uh, were they redeployed to other areas? I just wonder how you got on in Malaysia and KL in particular. Yeah, so KL being uh, one of the hotspots of uh, the COVID outbreak, uh, even in the previous waves, uh, it affected us. Ours was the tertiary hospital. And uh, what happened is our operation theatres were, were cut down. Uh, we had some of our trainees redeployed at the peak of the pandemic uh, to manage COVID wards. Um, our, you see, interestingly, Kuala Lumpur Hospital, we have our own separate urology theatres. We have our wow. own separate urology ICU. So we could still run cases but we had to pick and choose, you know? Correct. We, we you had to, do... you had to prioritize uh, what was yes. clear urgent, I take it. Correct. So that's interesting. Were, were you redeployed yourself or were your, were your team redeployed or were you still able no. to function and do some 
sticks your urology interest and your transplant. Yeah. Well, we managed to, I mean, the consultants are now, we, nobody touched this. Uh, that was the ministry uh, directive. The trainees were the ones that were redeployed. We still could do our cancer cases mainly, some stone cases. Uh, transplants, yes, for a while. And then we had to stop because the numbers were just, the COVID numbers were just too high. It was just too risky. Yes, I'm sure. So I'm also interested, uh, did you have to change some of your established clinical pathway and guidelines as a result of the pandemic uh, in order for, to treat patients? Or were you able to keep your normal pathway? You mentioned that you have a separate hospital and a separate ITU and a separate uh, section, which is excellent. I, I think this is the way a lot of us would love to function. But sadly, uh, we work within a bigger organization. So yes. you, did you have to change some of your urological path, in particular that of stone disease? Yeah, so not much of change because patients who came in with acute obstruction, uh, well, here we try to get them onto the primary URS uh, urotroscopy at the same instance, but uh, that, practice, that practice has not caught on yet. We still follow the traditional way of stenting the patient up front because of the long waiting list we naturally have for stone disease in our hospital. So that has, this pandemic has not changed that, that situation, actually. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's good that you try to do some primary ureteroscopy, which I think is really the gold standard, really. In the UK, yes. we have what's called the NICE guidance, and I do recommend we offer patients treatment within 48 hours. Uh, that could yeah. be in, in different forms. So primary ureteroscopy, if at all possible, should really be the primary goal. And if you are able to do that, you know, congratulations to you and your team yes. on that. But the other thing I, I'm always interested in, especially during this pandemic, was the use of what we call in the UK hot lithotripsy. Did you find that you, you were offering patients more lithotripsy during this pandemic or uh, were you in certain stents? Obviously, patients uh, try to avoid ITU, uh, sorry, yeah. try to avoid going to theatre uh, if yeah. possible. Did you change your guidelines or move the goalposts in order to be able to offer lithotripsy? Well, not really, because we have an in-house uh, lithotripsy service available. So again, we use lithotripsy whenever possible. Uh, where we can avoid having to put stents in uh, and, and in terms of time constraints and all that, you know. But again, with the pandemic, that also, that time slots for the little tripsies got, got eaten up into, it, it got affected. So you're, you're saying uh, you were doing more lithotripsy or you had to redeploy staff to do other things? I, I'm not clear whether or not you were doing uh, more lithotripsy as a result of the pandemic. No, because lithotripsy runs separately on its own. We do have a separate site to do it. Okay. So, yeah, so we even if we don't have enough, actually, we have quite a number of trainees in our center. We have about six or seven at any one time. Oh, that's so excellent. If lose, yeah, if we lose two or three of them also, we still can run. We manage the services because other services have been cut. Right, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you've got quite a few trainees. Um, do you feel their train, training were affected by this uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Um, in the UK, we have a training program uh, whereby, we, you know, we talk about indicative numbers. You know, in a year in a hospital, you'd expect uh, the trainees to have been exposed or perform X amount of urotroscopy or PCNLs uh, on an annual basis. Obviously, you know, it's been difficult for them to achieve this number. Uh, what were things like in in Malaysia? We, we have the same issue. Uh, we, we have these numbers for indicative numbers, as you say, 
for utroscopy, PCNLs, like 30 utroscopies a year, a total of 50 PCNLs in terms of training. But you see, the thing is, in the normal day, normal setting in, in Malaysia, in, in Hospital Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur Hospital, we can achieve 30 utroscopies in a month. That's the number of cases we have available. So the numbers that are affected during this COVID pandemic, yes, it did significantly drop. But for a total of a year, I think they can achieve it. You know, if you look at it in a one-year period, even then, we still do some PCNLs even now with this current pandemic. We are still doing because well, some of the patients, you know, you can't wait, you see. We still have to well, I mean, this is excellent news. And, uh, you know, a lot of countries, we have to prioritize uh, our pathways uh, based on the urgency of the patient. So, for example, PCNLs, unless the kidneys are obstructed or uh, you are compromising the function of that kidney, yes. we had to prioritize these patients and defer their procedure. So it's excellent that in, in KL, you're able to uh, still offer your, your trainees indicative numbers, which is which is excellent. I think I think that's a testament to all your hard work. Um, uh, out of interest, really, you're talking about redeployment. In the UK, we've now got this uh, program called the Accelerated Recovery Program. Uh, you, we've got a lot of backlog of patients and we're having to right. work Saturdays and sometimes even Sunday running clinics and operating. Right. Are you having to do that in, uh, in Malaysia, in KL? This additional uh, work okay. at weekends? Not at the moment, because prior to the COVID pandemic, we were working on weekends. We were working on Saturdays, <laughs> running the extended yeah. list because right. our, our, our waiting list was so long that we were asked to run this on Saturdays prior to the pandemic. With right. the pandemic, that got taken away. The Saturday list got taken away. So now we are just waiting. Like I said, we are going through a third or fourth wave. I've lost count. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, sadly. You know? yes. Yeah, so we are waiting for all this to settle down, and then we have to relook at our backlogs. And you know, it all depends on the nurses and the anesthetists being given back to us for us to run right. services. Yeah, right. So it's interesting. You were already quite stretched pre-COVID. So the COVID yep. center created an even bigger waiting list for you. We wish yes. you, your, you and your team the best in, in your recovery program. Now, Thank one you. of the areas we've always identified is the impact of training without uh, international and national meetings. Uh, we're used to going to various meetings whereby we impart knowledge, we have new ideas, we share concepts and new technology with each other. What do you think that's been an impact on, on your trainees uh, and also you as a urologist in, in KL? Yeah. The, lack of, so, the lack of this international forum. Yeah, so the, it is an obvious uh, defect in our day-to-day -day or year-to-year -year updates, you know, that we do to so-called impart more knowledge on for our daily usage with our patients. So it is, it is a defective problem. And, you know, but, but interestingly, interestingly, the fact that there are online meetings, you know, has somehow taken a bit of that defect away. So there is still some exchange of knowledge, some exchange of experience going on, though that physical face-to-face uh, -face interaction is not there, which is, you know, that, that you cannot replace that. But, you know, you still get some knowledge. And, and, and the fact that the online meetings have taken off in, a, in, a, in a, such a big way to compensate for this lack is, is quite uh, impressive. Yes. So um, locally, though, this uh, lack of international meetings, what sort of strategy uh, have you implemented in your hospital 
in an effort to supplement this education locally? You know, things like you know, journal clubs, what sort of forums, what have you done in Kale to supplement this lack of international meetings? Okay, so what we used to do prior to this COVID, we used to have a weekly journal club, a case discussion, you know, face-to-face kind of thing. So what we did early on during the pandemic itself, we completely changed it to an online meeting every uh, Wednesday evenings, uh, one hour session. What we initially did was within our own hospital, uh, urology trainees and the consultants. Uh, But then since it was online, it was easier to get all the trainees from the whole country and also consultants from private hospitals outside of Kuala Lumpur other teaching institutions outside of Kuala Lumpur to join in and to contribute. So it became a very interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. So you're able to engage a a slightly wider audience, which obviously is wider experience and probably makes the meetings much richer. So yeah, I must say, I found that with a lot of the webinars and podcasts, et cetera. So we're able to engage on a wider level, uh, especially when um, very difficult to get everybody co-located for an hour yes. uh, a week. Yes. So being able to do it whilst you're elsewhere and log into uh, the meeting, even whilst you're doing a school run or or, yeah. or having a, you know, in between a patient and our patients, I think that's right. proved to be valuable. There is something to be said though, uh, there's an element of burnout, I think, amongst residents uh, with the amount of online webinars and seminars. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I know for sure in my calendar, there's, there's a meeting every day uh, that one is, I wish I could attend and listen to all of them. But I just wonder, because, you know, obviously, you know, our juniors, our residents have been redeployed. Uh, a lot of them haven't had annual leave the way they would like to have done. And uh, there's also a certain saturation of, of, uh, of uh, knowledge out there online. So I just wonder whether, what your thoughts are about burnout amongst our residents. Yeah, so... Uh, you have pointed it correctly there. The fact that the online meetings have boomed on so much that, you know, there's just so much of information available and you have not one, not two, maybe even three meetings at the same time in yes, a day. Yes, indeed, so, indeed. How, yeah, how, how do you choose? And, you know, how, yes, you want to join everything, but your, your, your mind can only take so much at one go, you see? So there is an element of burnout. And, and with my trainees, uh, you know, uh, we, we have the discussion on a weekly basis. And sometimes they say, look, boss, you know, we have another uh, planned meeting on the weekend. So can we take, a, you know, can we take this yeah. Wednesday off? And I say, fine, no issues, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. You know, it's, something it's a very practical approach that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is burnout. You know, you, you can't push it too much. It's a good thing, but don't overdo it. Yes, well, those are very valid points. But I, like I mentioned, you know, having a the online forum now opens up a new world for all of us, really, in terms of yes. engagement. I wonder whether going forward, hopefully uh, Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur comes out of this current surge, um, whether you have any thoughts of education for our residents, not just locally, but nationally and internationally going forward, whether you have any thoughts on how, what platform uh, we can use uh, in future because we've learned a lot from this whole pandemic. Uh, we've engaged in each other in a different manner. Of this, do you think some of the technology is here to stay or would you rather have the face-to-face uh, meeting where you are engaging with industry, you are seeing new technology or whether you're happy to stay at home in your study 
and engage from that environment. I just wanted to get your thoughts really on the future. Yeah, well, personally, I would, of course, love to have a face-to-face meet. I mean, there's nothing that can replace a face-to-face uh, social interaction. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, but, but we have to be realistic. I mean, this pandemic has shown us uh, how to weather the adversity. Now, looking at education, education has always been priority in any country for that matter. So you, if you look at it, I think you have to embrace technology in the way it is at the moment. All these online forums, you can have platforms, you can have various platforms to even do so-called hands-on training. You know, each you, Instead of having to travel to a place for a live workshop, you can have uh, pharma industries, you know, within the country, organizing one spot and then interacting with various different countries, even though it's different time zones, but you can have this so-called live discussion, live forums, live hands-on workshop. Yeah, I think those are fantastic ideas. And I I must say, I will take that on. Uh, And I hope a company like Cook Medical, who we're working with today, will take that on because I think this is certainly the way forward, uh, whereby you are able to have a broader engagement and have different knowledge um, imparted on residents. So yes, I think that's not a bad strategy. Thank you very much, Dr. Right, Dr. Managram, we're coming towards the end of this uh, podcast. I wonder whether you have any last words for our listeners today okay. in terms of training. Uh, yeah, so training, okay. You have to look at the history of urology. Urology is a very special field. Uh, we are the front runners of a lot of technology uh, technological advances in medical, uh, in the medical field. So this pandemic has asked us or forced us to work within this one. We have adopted and adapted uh, technology itself. You see how many, you can see how many podcasts, how many webinars, how many online forums, you know, and, and urologists are known to be, you know, we can say maybe big boys or big girls with big toys, you know? Yes, so this, yes. This, this, is, this is what we do. So we should embrace this form of technology as part of training, you know, take the good, leave the bad aside, you know, and carry on forward. Because this, this, this challenge, this pandemic is something that no one expected. It just threw the Indeed. whole world into disarray. And Indeed. now we, we are moving forward. We have to move forward. Excellent. Dr. Manogram, thank you very much. Uh, we're coming towards the end of this uh, highly informative open channel podcast uh, discussing the effect of COVID-19 pandemic on residents' training and education in urology globally. And on behalf of the Endourology Society and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to thank Dr. Manogram, consultant urologist and transplant surgeon from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for his participation in this highly informative podcast sponsored by Cook Medical. Dr. Manogram, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Dr. Ajayi, for having me. Thank you, Cook.